Hello and welcome to the Revenue Execution Podcast Series, uh, hosted by Model N. My name is David Johnson. I'm responsible for product marketing within Model N. And today I am joined with uh, Larry Walsh, who's going to uh, discuss sort of channel uh, topics with us. So, Larry, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the 2112 Group. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, again, I'm Larry Walsh, the CEO and Chief Analyst of the 2112 Group. We're a we're a research and strategy firm specializing in helping technology vendors, and you know, essentially we work with many different companies on understanding channel dynamics, um, helping develop new strategies and new routes to market, optimizing existing routes to market, um, and creating enablement mechanisms and programs to help strengthen the relations between vendors and their partners, as well as make partnerships more, pro- uh, more productive. Wow, you cover a lot of ground at the 2112 Group. Yeah, well, there's also that. We're also the publishers of Channelnomics, so it's a, it's a, it's a media site that, for partners that explains the economics of, of channels so that the partners understand how all of this works and what it means to them so it's not just a one-way conversation. Larry, once again, thank you for joining us today on, on the podcast. really appreciate your time. Um, I'd like to... Sp- to spend a little time talking about the, the changing channel landscape. Um, you made some comments recently that I'd like to spend a little more time on. One, uh, I'm going to dive right in. Vendors will formalize mature pre- professional services channels. Um, how do you see that coming to fruition? Uh, do you see many people doing that well today, or is it still sort of in its infancy? Well, there's professional services is the most profitable revenue source for partners. You know, and you know, periods, you know, hard stop. Um, the difference, though, is the the changing dynamic in the way that vendors are going to market. Um, vendors are going to go direct, particularly on commoditized products. We tell vendors that if it if a product doesn't require a human to sell it, then don't sell it with a human. If you can sell it through automated channels, do it. We have an entire matrix. There's an entire report on our website that describes how mm-hmm. this all comes together. Does that necessarily mean though? There's just because I can get a product to the customer. Does that mean that the the product is used or deployed properly? No. So you have a new opportunity for partners to perform professional services on behalf of the customer, on behalf of the vendor. The problem today is is that vendors have this and they enable this and they talk about it, but they don't have a real good set of controls over it. They don't have a whole lot of visibility into it. A lot of it is very opportunistic. Some work, you know, in some cases it's pretty haphazard. And vendors will talk about this in that um, they don't have a means of measuring and rewarding influence. Well, they equally, they don't have a means of me- truly and consistently measuring efficacy in professional services. And so they're working on ways, and we're working on this with a couple of companies already, devising systems, whether it's a, and I say systems, I'm inclusive of processes, but essentially taking a framework, translating it into a process, and then finding the right applications to automate it so that you get this continuum of connectedness between the customer at the start of the, the customer and partner at the beginning of the engagement and what happens on the other side. Mm -hmm. And 
the partners, you know, what vendors are going to want to do, and in fact, I would even argue that they need to do, is make sure the partners do that entire process, that end-to-end professional engagement well, independent of a product sale, in order for the vendor, in order for the vendor to enjoy the engagement with the customer that they're looking for, that long-term right. recurring revenue engagement. That is a critical component for the vendors. So this is a fundamental change of your business model if you are the partner in this situation, right? You're, you're going from a, a product sale to a services revenue mix, right? Mm-hmm. Or a services model where you're going from basically transaction or unit sales to um, time and materials, right? And billable hours and things like this. Is, is, so is that a fair characterization, first of all? And two, is there a lot of resistance to that? Changing uh, business models isn't easy. No, it's not. No, in fact, uh, no, it's it's not necessarily a, 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 the most accurate characterization um, because it's not just you know time and materials type of billing. Um, you can have a protracted professional and services professional services engagement. Um, you can have managed services, professional managed services engagements that are done over time. So the partner, the vendor may sell a service. Salesforce, AWS, Microsoft Azure, they go in, they, you get these blanket contracts for X. Can sure. they do everything that the customer needs? No. So the customer will bring in a partner. So, or the vendor will bring in a partner mm-hmm. to perform these services. Now, is there an initial term engagement, perhaps, for the setup, deployment, customization? Sure. Is that time and materials or project-based? Maybe. Does the customer want to say goodbye at that point? then it can turn into a managed service or it can turn into a support service where it is billed out on an annuity. So it's, professional services, many parts, I believe, professional services will take on a flavor of managed services. Um, are there companies that do that well today? Absolutely. Um, is it institutionalized today? No. Um, is it, you know, do the partners necessarily understand that this is the nature of of what the market's going to look like going forward, not necessarily. But like all things that have happened before, once they discover it and they are able to, uh, they assimilate to it, um, they will wonder why they ever did it the, uh, the way before. I mean, just think about it um, from a partner perspective. The, the, the difficulties and the overhead associated with a product sale you know, so yeah. you know, it's 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 actually far easier to look at a customer, and I've had this. I've had VARs do this with me. You know, say, you know, I need this. Okay, go buy that, and when you get it, call me, and we'll help you with the rest. That is a more advantageous model because you may have removed that 10, 5, 10, 15 points of revenue. That was associated with that product, or less, or less. I mean, the average, average hardware margin is somewhere between six and ten percent mm-hmm. if you're lucky. Um, so, but you may have removed that revenue, but you've also removed all that cost, and the cost is far greater. Now, then you go over to the professional or even the managed services side of the equation, and the margins on those are forty to sixty percent mm-hmm. of cost. And that is your cost. It is not surrendering anything to the vendor. So it's a far more advantageous model. Yeah. 
intellectually, you know, put it on a whiteboard, piece of paper, put it in a spreadsheet, it's pretty easy to grasp. Um, I've been in situations at organizations where you you all agree and align around changing the business model, but then your sales force needs to learn how to sell differently. Your marketing team learns needs to learn how to market differently. Um, the, there's the people, the process, and the technology, and the people oftentimes are the laggards in those situations. Um, are you finding that, and what what can an organization do to overcome that? Yeah, it, it's uh, we had this happen. With, uh, a systems integrator, a mid-sized systems integrator came to us, heavy on product sales, lots of services. But the services were derivative of the product sale. And yeah. they were very much wedded to uh, a sell-with model, meaning that the vendor would bring them into a deal, they would come in, look pretty, and talk, they'd take their 20 points and then add on another for whatever services they performed. And they had a marvelous staging service. They really did. I mean, I have to say top-notch. Um, doing about $75 million a year in business, throwing off about 5 or $6 million a year in profit. So it, it, they were doing well, but they recognized that this was, there was a huge cost in this. And so they came to us and they said, can you help us go entirely services? And we said, sure. And we painted the model for them. We said, yeah. I said, we are going to double or even triple your profitability. And they're like, that's fantastic. I said, and you're going to be a $15 million company. <laughs> because we're taking all that yeah. pass-through revenue out of the equation. And uh, did they swallow hard when they heard that? No, no. The owners, the owners were actually pretty good with it. Yeah. It was the next tier of management that really got freaked out over it, and it wasn't so much the revenue side of it. It was the relationships that they had with the vendors. Okay. And the you know so when the, when they start socializing this out to the vendors and the vendors are like going wait you're not going to do this with us any longer but we kind of need you to do this that's where it fell apart and yeah. so the, that's where the comfort zone hit its friction point and they couldn't they couldn't reconcile it. Okay. So did they proceed with that change oh, of business model? No, they are doing very well, okay. continuing on with their model. I mean, and it, it, you know the, again. The reason why in sustainability, because if you're going to survive on a product sale model, even with a heavy dose of professional services, you have to have a really good professional service, which is what they had, yeah. and they were differentiated on. So that's okay. the reason why they're able to keep going. And they can, I assume, they can go ahead and continue to expand their services offering. At some point, I mean, I think that you, again, you can't. Um, Michael Porter talks about you know making choices. So you can either be a volume business or you can be a value business, but you can't do both yeah. at the same time. And so at some point, you're, you know, it's the same thing between product sales and, and services. You have to make a choice of what that looks like. Yeah, There's an inflection point at some point as well if yeah. you're going to change that model. Um, an, another comment. Shifting incentives and rewards to outcome-based measures rather than traditional performance metrics. Well, what, what, what do you classify as traditional sort of channel performance metrics? And what are the new sort of outcome-based measures that you're referring to? Well, there's only one traditional performance metric. Did you make any money? Yeah. I, ultimately, that's what it comes down. I mean, you can talk about look at any channel program. They'll say it's like going to Six Flags, and you know, you must be this tall to get on this ride. And 
or airlines point systems. Mm -hmm. You have to fly so many miles and spend so many dollars and charge so much on your credit card. And it all comes down to revenue. Even certification programs are about revenue because the presumption is, is that you get certified, you unlock a new product, a new support, you're going to sell more money. You know, so it's, it's, that's the traditional. And most of the other things that we talk about in terms of performance, partner-based performance metrics are really about partner control. How do you capture, how do you, you know, certifications are classic. How do you capture a partner and keep them within your, keep them in your orbit? Mm -hmm. So it's a gravitational thing. Um, we really can't survive on that going forward. The customer dictates the terms. The customer has a set of expectations. And if you, if you subscribe to our point of view that it's about the use case, the product is a material, the product is a means to an end. And so I have to say the product doesn't have value, that that's the vendor's product. But in order for the vendor to maintain that cohesion with the customer, then the, partner ha the customer has to have a really good experience. And it has to have an experience within the use of the product, and it has to have a good experience with the outcome of what did the product produce. And in order to facilitate that, we're gonna have to have partners that are really good at doing things that vendors can't or don't wanna do. And we're gonna have to come up with ways of measuring them. We're doing that with some customers now, some of our clients, to come up with ways of new KPIs for partners and new KPIs for vendor program for channel programs to demonstrate value delivered and because it's about capturing and retaining a customer it's, it's exactly what um, Drucker said you know we're not in the business to make money we're in the business of creating and, and, and keeping a customer and the revenue is the derivative of that mm -hmm. so that's what we mean by more outcome and we've talked about this for ever I, I, you know, again, you know, I, I, I know that, that, you know, before our live studio audience here, you know, they can see my gray hair, and I've earned every one of them. Yeah. Um, but I've heard this from the, from the day I walked into the channel. Oh, we got to do consultative selling. We got to think about the partner value. We have to do the partner. I mean, the customer knows that. Mm -hmm. In fact, customers are buying more like you know, enterprise buyers are buying more like consumers. They want products delivered expediently. In fact, uh, the average enterprise customer, if they buy something, even you know, uh, cloud-based, immediate. They expect yeah. it to be available immediately. Hardware-based, if it's more than five days, that's too long. Why am I buying from Why you? Why am I buying from you? And 55% of enterprise buyers will pay more for a better experience. Yeah. And that experience starts with the buy process. Yeah. We talk about this all the time. Uh, the experience that I have in my personal life as a as a consumer, that's my expectation in the B two B world. If I have a purchase of a product for this business, I expect it to be easy and straightforward. I expect to be able to make my transaction online and call rep at the very end of the process just for fine details and things like that. But yeah, yeah. no, it's it's in I I hate you know, we used to call it consumerization of IT right. And I, I never was really comfortable with that because what invariably what that translated down to was making smartphones uh, an enterprise, you know, equating smartphones to, a, to an enterprise uh, enterprise device. Yeah. Um, that's what it was never about, or that, well, that's what it got reduced to. What it was always about was is that we no longer have real work-life balance. We have lives. 
and our lives are blended. You know, our time is spent very much between you know you know, work work and play at the same time. Or if you're me, then you know I'm using three hours a day for sleep, and I'm trying to figure out how I can give that up. It, it, we this was always about experience. You know, one of the reasons why many business products failed was because their users would go home to the consumer equivalent that was easier to use. And the argument was, well, it's not as good. I don't care. Mm -hmm. It was easier. And so if you look at a lot of products, and you and I have two of them sitting in front of us, that these are devices, are, these laptops that are sitting in front of us, are far different than the laptops we had mm -hmm. five, six years ago. You know, yeah. business class laptops now have, I mean, I have, I have a premium sound system on an enterprise device. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah, we used to get terrible devices. Oh, yeah. yeah. Slow, non-performant, no applications. It was just... No, but, it, but you know, the good thing was about them, those, those, those big laptops we used, they used to give us, at least they were heavy and had low battery life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, could yeah. hurt your back walking yeah. through all the airports. And and, and and internet connectivity was as easy as putting a cable into it. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even at, even at corporate, I never put a cable into a machine anymore. No, I no. mean, Wi-Fi is, 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 is funny. Um, so I'd like to close uh, talking about the changing channel landscape on this one topic here. Um, you made the, the comment that vendors will start providing direct investments into partners. Um, how is that different than you know rebate programs or um, MDF programs or kind of the incentive models that they use today? What what's this direct investment versus incentives, um, and, and how's this changing the channel landscape? Again, I have to I have to premises preface this by saying that when I talk about partners, I'm talking about 95% of them when I say the average, because it's not average, it's the majority. Mm -hmm. They're small. 95% of the channel is under $2 million in top line revenue. Um, they are, if they're profitable, it's because they're not spending and investing in their own business. Um, they're typically under-resourced, uh, under-capitalized. Not a whole lot of outside of distribution credit. They don't have a whole lot of financing behind them. They don't really look all that attractive. But even within that, you know, so you start, as I said, the stratification of that for us is like not 5% are good, solid businesses that you would recognize. Another 10, 5 or 10% are on the cusp. And within that 5 or 10%, as, you know, the vendors need to shape these partners in their image to deliver verticalized services or specializations in verticals or in technologies to be able to not only deliver the technologies and support it but in many cases perform business functions on behalf of their clients. One of the fastest growing areas of cloud computing is business processes and service. You just outsource all this stuff. Yeah. Right? Um, even within that layer which we would consider to be decent well-functioning businesses they're still not capitalized very well. And they have a huge risk exposure. And the reason why they don't invest is because of that risk exposure. And so in order to defray some of that, vendors are already looking at how do they invest into them, how do they provide them with capital, how do they provide them with resources that will help get them over the hump, get them around that whatever that barrier is to being able to perform these functions that they need to perform. And in some cases, 
they're self-identifying. The partners are self-identifying, saying, you know, I really want to do this. I'm inching my way there, but if I had a little help, I can get there. Now, market development funds, in some cases, that is a way of putting infusion in. Unfortunately, most market development funds are tied to some revenue productivity, so that they're treated as marketing development funds, not market. Yeah. Right? Good point. So that's the reason why MDF isn't necessarily the the, 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 you know, the proper vehicle. Um, rebates are an earned incentive. It's a reward. It's not an incentive. SPIFs are an incentive, and it doesn't really help the business. In fact, in some cases, I'd even argue that SPIFs work against business, uh, business growth. Um, so you have to have some means of, of direct infusion. Now, whether that is bolstering a line of credit or it's a direct monetary investment or whether it's funding resources like Funded Head, which has been around for a long time, or just paying for the training, setting up specialized training programs and rifling through uh, partners. Um, we, uh, we just recently looked at a, at a company with their professional services development and doing something remarkable eight-week on-the-job face-to-face training so that they could make partners professional services partners as they described it billable ready on day one so the so. vendor is spending eight weeks with the partner mm-hmm. face-to-face oh, yeah. fantastic yeah. Yeah. well yeah they're putting their people they come in and they're right. they're in the field with their people they're going through the training with their people they're nurturing them along they're cu- they're essentially curating the partner to a market ready state that's a significant investment oh right it's a there. huge investment yeah. it's a huge investment so when people come to us i mean we we've had this happen to us recently a few times you know saying yeah like look we want to start a channel fantastic you know like you're doing the movies here here's a piece of paper fold it in half slide it across the table and they look and they go What's that? I go, well, that's what it's going to cost to build yeah. a channel. And they're like, that's a lot of money. I said, sure. Your return on that is 10x. Yeah. But this is what you need to do. And by the way, this cost goes down over time. Mm-hmm. So, but this is what we say it's a significant cost. Uh, I just wrote a blog on this. And if you can find it on our website, um, uh, Good Channels. I can't, remember, I can't even remember. I just wrote it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Essentially, the you know, it is. Uh, you know, good channels cost money. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. and the point I was making in it is is that spending money, investing in channels, investing in channel partners is not a guarantee of success, but not investing is an absolute guarantee of disappointment. Yeah, great point. Yeah. Larry, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Really appreciate your your views and insights. And uh, uh, where can people go to find out more about uh, what you do in the twenty one twelve group? Well. Come visit me, my website, 2112group.com. Plenty of great resources there. Read my blog. There's a, all of our research is there. A lot of it is complimentary. You can find out about our services as well. Um, you can also check out Channelnomics, uh, which is our partner-facing site where we teach partners about the trends and the issues that are happening today. Great. Thanks. Appreciate it, Larry. Oh, thanks, Mike.